0: welcome to today's webinar titled 10 Commandments for Lean in Government and Beyond. I'm Mark Graben, VP of Improvement and Innovation Services for Kinexus, and today I'm very happy to be joined by um, Harry Kenworthy, who's going to be our presenter. So our presenter today, again, Harry Kenworthy, is Principal and Manager of the Quality and Productivity Improvement Center, or QPIC, a consulting organization He founded in 1984 and has been working with full-time since 2004. He worked with Dr. W. Edwards Deming in the 1980s on a series of two-day seminars throughout the United States. He's spoken at over 90 conferences on quality, productivity, lean, and Six Sigma. With a background in manufacturing, he was one of the first practitioners to apply lean in government in the mid-1990s. Here his consulting work has included numerous government processes that have been improved by removing waste, reducing costs, or increasing revenues while reducing overall process cycle times and improving customer service. So he worked at Rogers Corporation, a global manufacturer, for 26 years including his last three years as a corporate VP of manufacturing. He provided Rogers Six Sigma training uh, in the US, Europe, and Asia. He's a certified Lean Six Sigma Master Black Belt And for nine years he was on the board of directors of a Japanese joint venture based in Japan. With that, JV was a key supplier to Toyota and he was able to learn about lean directly from Toyota. So he has a BS in materials engineering from Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute and an MBA in finance from Syracuse University. So I think that makes Harry um, uniquely positioned to give us a great webinar today. So I will hand it over to you
1: okay thanks a lot mark so we wanted to talk about lean in government but it's it's far beyond that I think uh, I'd first like to say good afternoon good evening and good morning because we've got a lot of folks from various parts of the world on attendance uh, I happen to be sitting in Rhode Island today so or uh, uh, we got a lot of parts of the world on here uh, we have done a lot of work previously with private companies and i think what happened is uh, as we saw things increasing in 2004 2005 we got involved uh, helping out a couple government organizations on a pro bono basis and then with the financial crisis of 2008 and 2009 it it really accelerated um, the government activity so we see right now um, our client base is about somewhere in the 97 98 percent range on the government side uh, we have um, cities, counties, a couple federal agencies, and also a lot of state agencies, along with some K-12 through school systems. So uh, these principles that I'm going to talk about today is what we've seen develop uh, kind of over time. Uh, we would call these the kind of the overarching principles that we see really make the most sense. So I wanted to go through them. I think all of you recognize good old Charlton Heston here. But we uh, call it the Ten Commandments. And so what we're going to cover is a kind of a brief lean overview. Uh, my understanding is quite a few of you, as I looked at the list of attendees and the polling numbers we did to start with, uh, quite a few people have some experience with lean, but we will do a kind of a brief overview. Then I wanted to go through the Ten Commandments end of it. So even though it says lean government, uh, it really is more broader based than just government itself. But we will cover these Ten Commandments and then a little bit of a section on what leaders need to do in terms of the organization um, and, you know, and and the roles they play, what needs to go on there, and then a little bit on how to get started. So that's pretty much the game plan for today. And let me get started. So the Lean Overview so it's really i mean this is i think makes a lot of sense to all of you depending on your level of experience but it really comes down to a relentless drive and we want to remove waste and improve quality that's that's really a key point for us is that waste is, is paramount in the organizations lean identifies a waste but we also utilize aspects of Six Sigma, too, because Six Sigma deals with variation. And the combination of both of these things, uh, I think, is, is the right way to approach it. Although Lean clearly carries the heavier leverage. And then we do sprinkle in a little bit of uh, we call Shannon techniques. Uh, these are specialized problem-solving techniques that Dorian Shannon um, popularized over probably the last 30 or 40 years. Dorian has since passed away but there's some good information out on those techniques that I would encourage folks to take a look at as far as problem solving. Obviously, customers are primary, foremost out there. We really need to increase customer service. It doesn't matter what organization you're involved with, whether it's private sector or public sector. And as uh, finally my friend Paul Akers talks about, fix what bugs you. So have people identify things that are really bugging them, and those are the processes that we really want to focus on and create some improvements. So we got the process here, and we've got the aspects of the people. And when we look at everything, I work with Dr. Deming, and Dr. Deming uh, you know, four to five times a year over a span of three years, two-day is sponsored by MIT. And Dr. Deming was always fond of saying, you know, a poor process will win out over good people virtually all the time. So it's really, from our standpoint, we're talking about processes. Um, And and it's a a tough transition for a lot of managers and supervisors to say, we're really focused on the process. Management owns the process, and the people work in the process. And, um, you know, blaming people and not treating people with dignity and respect are, are huge issues in organizations. So process orientation is paramount. And another uh, kind of I think a uh, just a recap what does lean do it really does reduce cost and waste there's no question about that um, it, it also goes ahead and increases service and capacity in the organization so it's it's one of the true things that you can in, in the government side of things you truly really do more with less so if you re- take out waste out of the organization and wind up with more value added then the people that you have are in a better position to provide even better services. Now, uh, The other thing that's really impacting government at this stage is the attrition rate. So there is, uh, depending on the organization, quite a few folks that are leaving the organization. And so we see attrition rates of 4 to 6% a year over the next several years. We talked to an organization just recently that they're expecting 55% of their people to retire in the next five years which is huge so you gotta be in a position to uh, wind up uh, you know, doing once again being a lot more value added on your processes and then the really the major aspect which becomes I think the big challenge for all organizations is working on the culture so the culture in my definition is the way we do things around here that's the culture and when you look at what's going on in organizations, very few organizations when they do lean or implement lean or start a lean journey, very few organizations get beyond the tool stage. Uh, we seem to be enamored with tools uh, in the U.S., maybe elsewhere in the world, but also Kaizen events become very, very popular. The three- to five-day full-time event working on a, a good-sized project to make improvements and people are energized doing that they really enjoy them uh, they're able to get out their ideas their frustrations and make improvements and take ownership and have a lot of skin in the game and unfortunately uh you know we've seen examples where you know one state agency we're aware of they've been doing kaizen events for eight years using an outside consultant and, and that in you know, my estimation is crazy i mean you should be in a position within a year to a year and a half, even a year after doing maybe three Kaizen events from an experience standpoint, being coached through them to be in a position to be self-sufficient. So the overall objective uh, based on the drive of management and everything would be to be self-sufficient in what's going on in the organization and be able to do these skills, uh, provide these skills, provide this training, and provide this coaching uh, really pretty much on your own. So if we get this quote from Toyota, Uh most important thing for Toyota is people. Toyota is all about teaching and training people and building a culture of continuous improvement. We don't care about the next hybrid, the next engineering marvel, not even the next sales strategy. And the key point is our number one concern is how to build our people and how to build a culture of continuous improvement. And I think, you know, organizations sometimes, you know, fall into the belief that lean, oh, this is a manufacturing thing. And, and it's really Toyota. It's what, what Toyota is doing. And Toyota builds cars, and, and cars don't relate to what we do. And, and really, that's, that's so far away from reality. Uh, the focus of Toyota from my firsthand experience and with a lot of folks we know in Japan is is focusing on continuously building up the skill sets of your people. And if you can do that, and we'll we'll cover some of this later, uh, then you can wind up with some pretty tremendous results in the organization. So let me get into the heart of it. We'll talk about uh, the Ten Commandments, uh, what we call the Ten Commandments. But these are the things that I think are really essential uh, in Lean implementations. Now, there's obviously a lot of other things that go along with what I'm going to cover. But uh, we've seen these as, as pretty much, you know, paramount areas. First one is hardly any surprise. It's uh, first and foremost, what does the customer need? So we always, uh, you know, when we we're working with government clients, and I'll say for government for a minute, but this applies to any organization. The first thing we try and do is say, how easy it is for me to use your website. How easy it is for me. To get to the necessary forms or information that I need to get to and, and we see over and over again that uh, clients uh, haven't really had that experience they just put things in place uh, we see things from a customer standpoint things should be designed to be at the seventh grade reading level for customers coming in, that's the general average reading level in the country and yet the people that are building the websites and the forms and everything for the customer to interface with are designing them at the college level and the reason for this is a lot of times there's legal staff that's involved and there's legalese that goes in and there's uh, more complexity in the words and the sentences and the paragraphs so it makes it more and more difficult for the customer to understand so we always go in like I said to start with and say how easy it is to navigate the website uh, I don't know anything about you know the clients business per se but if I have a complaint on say uh, healthcare care related to a health and services agency you know what what's my way of getting in there how do I get to the right place in the website to get to the right people uh, as you know sometimes you go into websites and you have a if you want to contact somebody I mean through a phone call or something it can be you know, darn near impossible to figure out who those folks are and to get their phone numbers so how easy is it to navigate navigate the website is the information easy to read and understand back to the seventh grade and versus college level uh, type of uh, wording that's in documents are the are there easy forms and checklists you know people respond very well to checklists uh, we've seen an example in a motor vehicle department where the uh, instructions were eight pages long, and for guys that are registering their trucks to drive in the state uh, for commercial transit, transit, interstate transportation, that type of thing, and yet, you know, eight pages—they weren't going to go through that stuff. And if it can, and it wound up being turned around to a one-page checklist where the most important things were at the top and then you know it became a much easier process for people to fill out the information that was required and significantly improve the uh, or reduce the reject rework rates and significantly improve the what we call rate right the first time and as I covered before you know make sure stuff is written really at a seventh grade level we have uh, this kind of the true north model I'm sure quite a few of you are familiar with that um, there are several things here. This happens to be the Lean Leadership Institute, which we belong to, which uh, Jeff Leiker was involved, uh, f- you know, founding this. Uh, Jeff wrote a lot of books on Toyota and the Toyota Way. But one of the, the first pillar in here is continuous improvement, and there's three aspects under that. But the first one is challenge, and what he means by what we mean by challenge is that a set a set a good challenging goals so if you had a process that took 60 days uh, to complete a challenge wouldn't be saying to the team let's set it at 56 and in our view a challenge has to we have to think in terms of at least 50% improvements so if it's 60 days then let's make the challenge at 30 So what does that do? It gets people kind of energized and, you know, charged up about it. You might get some reactions to start with that, oh, wow, this is impossible. We can't do this. But in reality, uh, thinking about a 50% improvement, what it really drives is that you can't get that kind of improvement doing things the way you do now. The thinking of today won't get you to that kind of improvement. So it does drive uh, people to think, know, differently, Uh, use the lean tools obviously to get there, and uh, uh, I'll show the, you know, we really want to pick leverage, so leverage for us is, you know, go through a process that you've identified projects, uh, you come up with a rating grid for criteria that's of most interest to you, and then pick the things that have the greatest leverage. So uh, I guess my number one favorite word is always leverage pick the things that have greatest leverage and uh my number two favorite word is data so you gotta have good data too and we'll spend a little time on data as we go through this but leverage is very key this the third item i want to talk about is really kaizen continuous improvement so you've got kaizen events and you've got daily kaizen and, and this is just an example of a team uh, and a state agency but teammates have ideas and frustrations to tap into. And if those of you who have done Kaizen events, it's not unusual to find folks that say, wow, you know, these I've had these ideas. I've been frustrated about this for years. But I've never, you know, nobody's listened to me. And I, I've never had a venue to basically present these things and, and get something done about it. And here, here was the venue that did that. I went through this Kaizen event. I was very actively engaged. And boom you know look at all this stuff I got accomplished look at these action items going forward unfortunately what happens with organizations is uh, you know people come out of a kaizen event saying wow this is great why can't we do this all the time and a lot of organizations will flip the switch have a kaizen event uh, everybody will be excited about it and then what we call going back to business as usual uh, we, we will do things the way we've always done them, so the, the culture is not making that shift. We're using some tools, and, and Kaizen is a very powerful tool, the Kaizen event, uh, the longer event, three to five days, and more importantly, to get into daily Kaizen. Uh, we happen to call that dynamic idea generation. And uh, There's some good books out there by Alan Robinson and Dean Schroeder who talk about ideas are free, and other things uh, related to idea generation, but you want to be in a position to do this where people are actively engaged, not only coming up with the idea, but really developing the idea and uh, carrying it through. So there's uh, less of an onus on the supervisor uh, to, you know, the ideas normally get handed off, person has an idea, boom. It's given directly to the supervisor. Uh, we don't want that to happen. We want the employee to be actively engaged with the idea process all the way through. A good example of that is uh, Virginia Mason Hospital up in Seattle. They've been able to have a, a very robust idea generation system. And, and the numbers here, which some folks in Shorter and Robinson talk about is that the normal acceptance rate of ideas from people are about one one idea for every eight people per year and that's an, a suggestion system and, and their drive what we look for is one idea per employee per month implemented that's a tremendous difference from a suggestion system which you know we kind of call really rejection systems because they really don't work very well so ideas uh, clearly key uh, learning to see. Um, now we talk about that in the Kaizen event. People will go out there, you know, take a look at the process, see all the steps that are going on, talk to people, get the forms, get the value added, the non-value added, uh, especially deal with rework and errors. And uh, just as an aside, I would really emphasize in government um, from a government standpoint and maybe certainly in other sectors many times we really don't know what's the rework and error rate and yet it could be huge Uh, we've seen error rates of 75 80 90 percent levels rework levels that come out of that Uh, so those are I mean a huge amount of waste associated with that so if you can imagine a process that has a, a one-page form, which we've seen in, in a government agency, that comes in with a seventy-seven percent error rate in it. I mean, that's imagine how incredible that is. What must have to go on to track down people to get the right information? So, um, you know, follow you know, follow this process, and we would we recommend also that if you're in a managerial position, you know. Pretend, if you can, you know, and we would encourage you to do this, take a half a day or a day off and spend that time in a key process that's currently maybe not working too well or that's really keeping you up at night, and start at the very beginning of the process and walk through it step by step with all the touch points. Ask a, a ton of open-ended questions. Uh, understand the value-added, the non-value-added. Uh, develop a mini swim lane map if you can, uh, develop a little spaghetti diagram to show the flow of the work, uh, take a look at how well the work is balanced, uh, get a copy of the forms, uh, take copies of the computer screens and look at the screens and uh, you'll know, be able to document the errors and rework that's going on even related to those screens. So being able to do that, I mean, you will see stuff you don't believe is happening. You will see stuff that, I thought we eliminated that three years ago. Well, a lot of times the transfer of knowledge between employees doesn't go that well. So somebody could be working on something that got eliminated several years ago, but they don't know that, and they're working really hard at it. So uh, being able to see is really critical. Another goal for us is one-stop shopping. So here, here's the deal with one-stop shopping. Normally we have batch processing. So batch processing is, is, is as a lot of you know, is not good. You, you know, normally people think this is good. So we just accumulate a bunch of materials or forms or um, things that we have to do in our Work center and then when we get uh, enough of them accumulated, they will just process all those same things through uh, at one time. so uh, that happens, but at the same time everything else is backing up because your patch is you know processing that one batch. And, uh, and if that isn't balanced through your organization, then the next people down the line who might have a very you know, a, a quicker process, uh, processing the information, they're, they're just sitting and waiting to get stuff because it's all bottled up in the process from a batch standpoint. So going to one-piece flow is really a good first step to get to. That requires uh, the value-added to be looked at and the non-value-added and to eliminate the non-value-added. Uh, a lot of times when we see organizations that you know things are increasing as far as volume and we need to hire more people, well, that's not the solution until we know you know what's the value added and what's the non-value added in the area and also once we've eliminated the non-value added a lot of it uh, then get into a situation where we can balance actually the workload between the process steps so we get a much smoother flow and of course what we drive for is the the best option is what we call one-stop shopping being in a position where the customer comes in the door Over the phone and they can contact one person and that one person without doing handoffs uh, winds up uh, taking care of all their needs now that may require in some cases job restructuring and involving of unions uh, to get involved with that and understand but that's uh, really the best, you know, all of us as a customer, we'd, we'd love to go to a, an agency like a DMV and, and just talk to one person and get a lot of business done on the spot. And uh, ideally, hopefully, I get it all done over the Internet so we don't even have to go in. But the ideal state is really drive to one-stop shopping. So we emphasize that a lot. You know, how, does, how do you get to one-stop shopping? What's keeping us from getting there and then dealing with those obstacles? Um, more special related to government is statutes, laws, and ordinances. Now these are, there's tons of these things. I think the first thing you, you wind up doing is saying, you know, when the legislation, and I'll use a, a saying I like to say, legislation is really a bunch of elegant solutions that were applied to a misunderstood problems and if you think about that a lot of times we don't do a good job of really defining what is the real problem and I'll emphasize that a couple more times as we go through here so in the course of problem solving this is the most important step and consumes the most the most time for everybody to get involved and to have a consensus of what is the real problem we're trying to work on And once we have that real problem we can move pretty fast after that so you got first of all laws that can overlap statutes ordinances interpretations morph over time Uh, people are involved with these and, and you know one person was working on it for a while they transferred their knowledge to somebody else all of a sudden the law or the statute is now morphing and being misinterpreted and and that can lead you some pretty pretty interesting uh areas of waste and rework so we want to make sure we don't add controls and interpret policy we want to make sure we've got a we've got an opportunity to stay on task here so when we we go into government and look at a particularly, say, a Kaizen event. One of the key slides for us is what is, what are the laws, statutes, and ordinances that pertain to this particular process? We want to look at, we want to look at those first. And, and clients will sometimes tell us, "Oh, we're doing all that, we're following all those things to the letter of the law." And our view is, okay, yeah, we understand that, but let's let's just take it out, take a look at it, and make sure that's the case. And I can only tell you, I don't have the statistics exactly, but I know it's well north of 50% of the time that what is in the law, statute, and ordinance is not exactly what we're doing, and there's waste that's being introduced as a result of that. clients get really amazed at how far these things can go adrift. Benchmarking. Uh, Well, We put the quote, steal shamelessly but legally. So benchmarking is a key thing to do. Uh, In government and schools, it's easy to do, and it really you must do that. Learn from others. Don't improve a process, an existing process, when you can learn and find out how other folks do the same process. They may get you to a newer, higher plateau to begin improvement from there. Uh, It's more difficult in the private sector. I mean, when I was in the private sector, it would be difficult for me to go to my competitor and ask them, uh, gee, how would you introduce this new product that we're going to compete with? But in the public sector, it's wide open, and it's easy. And the thing that blows me away is a lot of folks just don't do that. They're working in kind of their own silo as an agency or a department, and they're not reaching out to other cities, for example, and and getting that input. So uh, benchmarking is very, very key, something we always do in a Kaizen event. Something that's uh, I think uh, relatively unique to what we do is is look at we call it dynamic data collection to eliminate errors and rework. As I mentioned before, it's it's really errors and rework are extremely high in a lot of situations, and most of the time you don't even know what it is. Uh, we, even when we ask data, we ask for data uh, with clients. We say, "How are you doing? How do people know how they're doing?" and we don't very often get good answers on that and sometimes we get blank stares and so the people working in the process don't know the outcomes that are expected they don't know how they're doing and as a result um, you know you get losing productivity right there so we're looking to get to simple systems to collect and see data daily by the people working in the process so it's an, you, you want to be in a situation where you can have people collecting their own data, capturing it, and displaying it in the work area so they start thinking about this. And so what are the benefits you get out of doing this? Well, the benefits are, are people are a heck of a lot more engaged in terms of what's going on in the process. So they've got data now, very simple data. I'll give you a couple examples. And they can see what's happening. And in some cases, it might verify exactly what they've been saying of things that need to change and improvements that need to be made, but now it's more visible and it's there. And it also gives them the opportunity to say, hey, I think I know what's causing this. I think I know what we can do to improve this. And so you get more engagement from people. Uh, This is probably one of my really top favorite areas in terms of having this dynamic data collection that's going on. I'll show you a couple examples. Uh, this happens to be an example of safety, public works department. So, you know, what would normally happen in safety is that, you know, people are saying, hey, we got to be safer, and we're publishing an 8.5 by 11 Excel spreadsheet and maybe 10-point font of safety performance. Or the supervisor gets up once a month and says, hey, here's the accidents we're having. Or even when an accident does take place, uh, all the employees are called together for a quick uh, meeting to say, here's what's happened. So take that situation and compare it to this. This is a where you've actually gotten display you know a lot of times near time clocks or in a prominent area where people would see in the organization. Here's a display of accidents that have happened and this is just one example but these are concentration diagrams. Um, folks I can only emphasize the concentration diagrams you should be using more and more. The more you get them, the better clues they generate of where the problems are. They are a big means of really cutting back on brainstorming fishbone diagrams, affinity diagrams, which uh, we view as organized guesswork. Let the data lead you in the direction from a countermeasure standpoint. So what you see here is a, a clear display of here's what's happening. Here's the type of uh, injuries that are taking place. And it's even coded colors for green for days and red for nights. And now the employees see this and they're more sensitive to, wow, you know, be more careful. Here's the areas that people are getting hurt. And beyond that, you know, what's causing this to happen? In this particular case, it was a northeast city, and they had shifted gears from buying sand you know for spreading manual on streets from twenty pound um, on sidewalks, sorry from twenty five pound bags to fifty pound bags. And more of the people on days were more senior people, so the, the folks identified and they even said at the time when these sandbag uh, when the uh, salt was sorry the salt was uh, being purchased that this stuff is 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 too heavy to handle and you know purchasing got a little bit better deal on it saved a little money and so the voices weren't really being heard this display along with the employee inputs uh, really made that come home this is another example Uh, this is Boca Raton if you look at the uh, period of time up there it's basically uh, 17th of March through the 28th if you take into account Uh, Some weekends in their days, you know, it's probably in the neighborhood of uh, nine to ten working days And all they did is they had a lot of problems with accounts payable So I said, okay Let's just track the data that's coming through They basically kind of protected the departments didn't put department names up there but they also came up front with people and said look this isn't this isn't an exercise for gotchas or you know, pointing the fingers at people or anything like that, we really want to do is understand the data. This is all about the data and the process. If we can understand that, then we can go about, you know, making some improvements. And obviously, you know, here's here's a period of time that's pretty short, and errors that were coming into accounts payable, there was 169 errors, even in that time frame. So, and as you look at what's there, it's, you know, obviously, if if you go back to the keyword leverage, if you got department three with 93 of 169, you can make improvements there. You just made a huge, you made more than a 50% improvement in what's happening in your error rate. And, oh, by the way, you can see invoice sent to the department first instead of accounts payable 55. So having the data, you know, once again, not, not to blame people or point the fingers but having the data is uh, it gets away from the opinions of people and says here's the facts and the facts are cause people to say you know how can we do this better what are the improvements what are the things going to be changed so it's uh, concentration diagrams once again emphasize from my standpoint are, are big time. Number nine uh, a lot of you are doing this which is 5S everywhere 5S is is very simple, easy to understand, people get this quickly and and the overall thing you've got the the areas up here there's Japanese words for this but it's sort, straighten, shine, standardize and sustain and of course there's always the sixth S, which is safety we must think in terms of safety when we're doing all these things. So why do you do 5S? and there's a whole variety of reasons i mean the main thing is that people waste time trying to find things so if, if you look at this list eliminate waste uh, standardized improvements quality safety productivity but bottom line is find stuff quickly so maybe that's the seventh S stuff but find stuff quickly i'll give you an example there we, we work with a federal agency They had a a very large campus with a lot of buildings, uh, 500 plus employees in maintenance. And we gave them uh, three hours of training uh, on the first day about 5S and visual controls. And then two and a half days, they went into uh, various buildings on site and uh, started with with some coaching working on 5S. And over the course of doing that, over three separate months, uh, one session each month, about uh, 30 employees of the 500 were involved so at the end of three months 90 were involved Um, and working on the buildings they were able to achieve just about a 20 percent productivity improvement because they could find stuff easily and get rid of stuff and get rid of some excess inventory so a lot of gains were being made through that um, and it was very simple very straightforward now the the last one is, the last one, I'll get into leadership a little bit, is developing great leaders. So the question is, how do you learn? And, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I play golf, and I'm still, I'm still working on it with about an 18 handicap. And if it was that easy, I'd read Jack Nicklaus's book over the weekend, and I'd be out shooting par on Monday, but it isn't that easy. So you really got to learn, you know, we view is you, you can't teach or coach someone who doesn't want to learn, first of all. So, I mean, try as you might, I mean, one of the first questions is do you really want to learn how to do this differently, or do you want to really learn these techniques, or do you want to learn how to be a good coach? And then we're a firm believer in Mike Rother's approach, the Kata approach. And I I think Rother's definition is really, really spot on, a new behavior that is converted into a new permanent habit through deliberate practice, and I would add, and coaching. So I think, you know, putting people in front of a training session for supervisory training and say, well, they've got them all trained now. They can go forth and be great supervisors. uh, That is so uh, off the mark. You've got to have the emphasis on practice and coaching. And then, oops, you can't train people to embrace a new habit. It it just doesn't happen. Uh, They've got to have that practice they got to have that coaching and reinforcement from management or, or their leader, their supervisor, and then they'll get there. So what leaders need to do, just to cover that a little bit, uh, coaching is a fundamental that's not, uh, I think, not utilized that much out there. Uh, we work with folks, and, and when you go into organizations, people develop their model of being a supervisor, By basically the mentors they had and the mentors they had in a lot of cases where people told them told folks what to do Uh, I'm the smart person in the room so I'll tell you what to do Uh, coaching is where you want to develop people to be able to have the necessary skill sets and from a lean standpoint our view is uh, the leader must have three really fundamental areas number one is the ability to coach which they need a lot of feedback on they need a lot of practice on to develop that into a new behavior uh, the second one is to really uh, work with their people from a coaching standpoint on having their people understand waste and so these are the forms of waste there's other interpretations of waste and at the bottom we've got a couple acronyms uh, Tim Wood or downtime which will help people remember But the key thing here also is to make sure that the supervisor or the leader of that particular team is proficient in these areas themselves. They can't just dump it off to the employee and say, hey, I want you to work on this stuff. They have to be able to practice and lead by example themselves. And by doing that, now they they can demonstrate to their employees that they're into it. They've got skin in the game. They understand this stuff and now they're an ability because of their practice and their experience to really help their people and coach their people on understanding waste. And then the other aspect is really looking at a plan, do, check, act, a problem-solving process and it can be A3s. They're certainly very important. They're another approach that can be taken. It's an easy approach for the employees uh, to utilize but utilizing this type of process once again it has to start with pdca or a3s with the leader and we define the leader as anybody who has people reporting to them so it could be any level in the organization the leader has to be able to be proficient in these areas they have to practice the plan do check act cycle of problem solving or they have to practice uh, utilizing an A3 and solving a problem and posting that for their employees to see. And once again, by having this practice and proficiency, they're now in a lot better position to uh, train and coach their employees to develop the same skill sets, and they're modeling the behaviors because the behaviors are now becoming a habit for them. But once again, if you look first and foremost up here, if you get Clarifying the problem on the plan side is the number one thing and I mentioned that previously, but You know there's so much time spent with people just saying hey I got this problem in a meeting and you maybe have a half a dozen people around the table and now next thing You know what's happening people are firing solutions out Well did all six people in that meeting have the same understanding of what was the problem? We're talking about And I would submit that if you did a, you know, write it down on a piece of paper, what the problem is, you'd get six different answers. So uh, fundamentally to this problem-solving process, whether it be A3, A3 is more individual-related, PDCA could be both individual and group-related, but clarifying the problem is so important. And the other thing I would emphasize here, we have this little red box. Ensure there's a good measurement system. So we see in A3s, we see in PDCA processes that people start whipping through the whole process, and they haven't really fundamentally understood if they got a good measurement system. Does it pass a gauge R&R? Does it pass it for attributes? Does it pass it for uh, you know faces. So uh, discrete and continuous data. So can we make sure that if say as a social worker that's going out to the field, is, you know, will three social workers make the same judgment when they interview a person in their home as far as what level of service they should get? Because if that isn't if that isn't a good measurement system, then you have data that's going to be all over the place. And the difference in that data, like let's take the social worker example, somebody could say this person needs meals on wheels in their home, and another person could say this person needs 7 by 24 nursing home care. And, and the cost differences of, between those two things are just enormous so measurement systems I just emphasize make sure measurement systems are good if you're doing A3's make sure the measurement system is good okay so that's the uh, pretty much the fundamentals going through I want to cover how to get started um, we see you know the bottom of this chart we have what's called a proven path but that's because it's proven because folks have done it and we also know all the other areas that uh, have been tried and have not worked out well so uh, starting out with demonstration that gives start starting with top management training we will walk away from client situations if the top management really doesn't want to go through the training themselves um, it's a natural progression, but top management goes through training along with some internally selected coach candidates, and then they are doing some Kaizen events. And that creates the knowledge, at least from a government standpoint, to say uh, it's a low-cost you know, approach, but it creates the knowledge to say now I can write an RFP or an RFQ as to what I really want to get done. And then you have going up above, you have the tools phase where now coaches are being brought on board to learn the skill sets and you're starting to get this transfer of knowledge into the city or the county or agency or the school system and how to how to use these tools uh, coupled with some of the culture phase you know setting up a steering committee making sure a steering committee is in place uh, setting starting to go through metrics of uh, what we call accountability mapping where vision mission and values are developed along with what are the key outcomes that support those, and then the metrics that go along with that. So those things, I mean, it's it's a progression if there's a really good leadership buy-in and commitment, and we call commitment, I we always use the kind of the story, you know, it's like ham and eggs, the pig was committed and the chicken was involved. <laughs> and in reality, uh, management has got to be committed. Uh, it becomes a common catchphrase. But if folks are just making cameo appearances, don't know how to use the tools, aren't leading by example, uh, then you're going to have a lot of uh, you're going to have a lean effort that's going to be tools based, and maybe it'll be somewhat sustainable, or maybe it will kind of go by the wayside because management has come up with another great thing to work on. So that's really the demonstration. I mean, the, the whole proven path end of it is start with tools, but move up into culture. So, we've covered the first three, and then the respect for people, which we've really been covering since, as far as the coaching and everything, is really fundamental. So, you've got the tools, we view it as 15 to 20 percent, and the culture being 80 to 85 percent of successful implementations. Uh, just a couple other things to touch on. We do have a website, I would encourage you to go there. It's called leangovcenter.com, and there's an area in there called lean projects, one of the tabs, and under lean projects, you'll see vetted websites throughout the country uh, with government activities. And this is a government site, so all the folks that are vetted on there are organizations that are vetted are government related but you can you can drill into that you can see training materials that people are using you can see Kaizen events you can see their metrics how they're setting those up accountability mapping Uh, so there's a ton of great examples you can access there for information there's a lot of other information on there, presentations etc but uh, and we do webinars too but I think you know that's that's just a resource area and if you are doing some really good stuff and you're in, on this uh, webinar right now in the area of uh, you know lean initiatives and you've got a good initiative going with the website let us know and uh, you know we'll check it out and you know if you guys are doing good stuff and it's alive and well and Good material there, then we'll put it up on our website as some, something else people can access. So to summarize, it's uh, really developing an organization of continuous improvement through the relentless elimination of waste. And uh, this little quote from Katie, get rid of stuff that bugs you. So that's pretty much what I had to cover today. Um, Mark, you want to kind of take
0: over? Sure. Uh, Harry, thank you very much. Um, <clears throat> we'll invite people to uh, submit questions. Got a few details to cover uh, before we'll get to that. But Harry, thank you very much for sharing uh, a lot of great tips and wisdom there. I can, as, as somebody listening to what you're presenting, I can see the connection um, in your career from both Dr. Deming and uh, from from Toyota, and really want to uh, thank you for presenting material I think is really helpful to people, uh, regardless of the industry that they're in. And we know we had a great mix of people here today. Um, one thing I'll mention, we oh I'm sorry
1: I said we were honored to do it
0: yeah well thank you and for those of you who who signed in early we did an experiment with a bit of a poll Um, we only had about 25 people respond asking people how long they are into their lean journey and 48% of the people who responded said three to five years or more Uh, 10% said one to two years 20% said about a year and 31% said they're either just starting or thinking about it. So it's kind of a, not a, what's the inverse of a bell curve? Harry, you're the Six Sigma guy. <laughs> I think people can f- picture what, what that curve looks like. I think it was kind of a split distribution. And I think hopefully something for everybody. But would invite you to take a look at our webinars on demand. If this is the first Kinexus webinar that you've attended, we do these about monthly. There's a really good archive. Of presentations out there if you go to kinexus.com look under the menu for uh, webinars on demand our next webinar is not in October it's actually a week from today we get two of them here in September September 20th Aaron Edwards from Four Seasons Produce they have been uh, a customer of kinexus for a couple of years now. She's going to be sharing some of their lean journey. They are a fresh produce distributor, which I think creates uh, an interesting learning environment because they also don't make cars. They're in a very different type of business as are people in healthcare and government. And she's going to talk about um, turning continuous improvement and a PMO, a program management office, uh, into an innovation team. So we'd invite you to register at kinexus.com webinars and here is everyone's contact info, and we've got questions coming in. So, Harry, here's a question uh, from Jen. How have you dealt with staff members who add a lot of value to the organization but they're resistant to get on board with using lean tools?
1: Well, I I think in in terms of... They should be involved in the process, obviously. We've, we've gone through examples where projects of people that have come into the project saying, I don't know why I'm here, this won't work, that type of thing. But I think the more they're engaged you know, and brought into the process as far as tapping into their ideas and, and frustrations, and they're realizing that they're going to have a voice and they will be heard, uh, there's a lot of change management strategies out there. Obviously, uh, John Carter's website, for example, if you, if you go into John Carter, Cotter, who's out of Harvard, that's K-O-T-T-E-R. Uh, he's got a lot of information on there with, I think there's like a 24-question series of people uh, can say, here's my level of resistance or here's why I don't want to do this. And John provides a whole series of answers there, which uh, I find to be uh, pretty helpful um, as an example. But it's, it's getting them engaged and saying, hey, we value their inputs. Uh, they're an important person to have at the table. And, um, you know, certainly we can, you'll find going through this process, uh, John, that uh, by your involvement we'll get some really great stuff done and, and you'll be heard and, you know, a lot a lot of positive things will come out of it. Uh, and then we'll also tied in with that would be something we call an elevator speech, you know. What are we doing? Why are we doing it? Uh, what do you expect out of me, and what's in it for me, those those four key bullets, so that people understand going in what this is all about with a project or a lean effort.
0: Yeah, and I would also invite people on the topic of um, our past webinars on demand. We hosted one in June, Dr. Mark Jabin, a physician. It was called The Science Behind Resistance to Change, what the research says and how it can help you. He shared a lot that was really helpful. And I, and I think, Harry, you nailed it. You involve people. You know, I think people are resistant to change that's forced upon them. But through Kaizen, through PDCA, through Kaizen events, you get people involved and help them participate in defining problems, coming up with um, solutions to test. Um, we had a, another question that came in, actually, from one of the attendees via Twitter. And uh, he's live on the webinar that's slow coming up, so I'm going to come to that next question next. Um, There's a question here about commandment number seven on benchmarking from Kathleen. When thinking about the commandment, are you mostly thinking about stealing shamelessly from others doing things that can help you, or does your organization also use benchmarking for setting goals, or both? You know, How, how do you see the role of um, those benchmarks? As you said, sometimes people say benchmarking leads to you rising up to be the cream of the crap, what are your thoughts?
1: About that? <laughs> uh, I, my response there would be to both, but I think you know it's it's just it's such an advantage to be able to do that. Uh, you know working for example with a school system uh, There are last I know there was and I was a Baldridge examiner in the past There were 6k through 12 school systems that won the Baldridge national award so if you're if you're doing stuff in your school and you want to have some improvement projects and you, you're thinking about some Kaizen Events why not tap into that base and find out what they've been doing and when we've done that sometimes And, and, and you know I remember one Kaizen event we were doing at a school and we tapped into the Baldridge base and said, "Hey, what have you been doing in this area?" And all of them universally said, "We're really interested in what you guys are going to do so i th- I thought that was that was pretty interesting but you know sharing and learning from each other uh the main i think the main advantage from benchmarking from our standpoint is it establishes a higher level from what you can start from um, that uh that's my that'd be my full comment on benchmarking
0: okay. So here's a question from Twitter, um, the website reloaded here finally, from John. Do you have any tips or things to watch out for when it comes to the 5S of information?
1: Well, there's uh, the, the 5S of information, GFOA, the Government Finance Officers Association, has a, a series of papers out on how to really 5S uh you know shared drives 5s comp- your own computer emails all that type of stuff uh, you got my contact uh, information in here um, hwk four five five at comcast so I mean if you send me a, an email to that address I'll, I can send you the GFOA materials as far as really how to uh, best handle that and it's, a, it's you know it's clearly you know how do you as you know, finding stuff sometimes it becomes very hard to find files. And did people use a uniform process to store things, or does everybody have their own particular approach? So, a very, very good question.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, another question we we hear this a lot with daily continuous improvement. And you bring up the idea of staff participating in data collection. What happens when you get into that kind of common situation where people say, "Look, you know, we're, we're too busy. We don't have time to collect data."
1: Yeah, well, I think the the thing with the daily data collection is it has to be simple. So we're looking at if you saw the concentration diagram a while back there, uh, the example with the injuries, or if you saw the uh, data collection thing with uh, Boca Raton that I covered, this is a it's a check sheet that you're putting together. You know, basically a horizontal and a vertical axis, and you may have uh, you know what are the the errors that are coming up, and say what are the departments or functions that it's coming from is the other axis and then all you're asking people to do is is take a a pencil in that little grid and just mark a line and once you get four lines the fifth line goes across and you got five so the ability to collect data that way as opposed to you know the last thing we want to do is build an IT system around this the the ability to collect data that way has to be very simple and easy to do and so when we we do data systems with clients and using that particular approach, whether it be concentration diagrams, uh, checklists. Uh, you might have a distribution, histogram distributions, that type of thing. It has to be something that's, you know, it's a simple grid. They can just make a tick mark on it, and it's you're talking, you know, a second or two. Uh, so it's not, you know, a detailed fill up the form, explain everything that's going on. It has to be very strongly visual and very easy to do.
0: Yeah, and I think the same thing applies for daily continuous improvement. Um, you know, that's one of the things we focus on here uh, at Kynexus is is making um, you know the software really easy to use, and and you know, like any kaizen process, even if it's bulletin boards, it should be simple and right at people's fingertips and and easy to use. Um, one more question here: Do you have thoughts on how to help people get better at clarifying the problem? We, like you said, we we spend so much time jumping the solutions, and we even jump to knowing what the problem is.
1: Yeah, I think uh, the main thing, I always like Stephen Covey's uh, example, of one of his seven points, seek first to understand, then to be understood. So mm-hmm. uh, the best thing to do, at least what we've seen, is that if somebody has a defined problem, then you know, take a, a whiteboard or a sheet of flip chart paper and write the problem up there, and then invite discussion and clarification all that stuff just to kind of give you a, a quick aside on that it, it's interesting in the case of uh, you know say union relations and grievances you can bring uh, five union members into a meeting this same same take on this and say what's the grievance and the union president might say hey this is the grievance and you know using the technique of saying okay let me write this up there and make sure I understand it if I got it right and then the other members start saying no 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 that's not it and so that whole process uh, will get you to the point of having a consensus that yes, that indeed is the problem that we're working on. Um, so I'd say flip charts, whiteboards, writing it down, going around, getting clarification. You know, uh, is there? There's the old deal. It's uh, you know, working slow is working fast. So mm-hmm. doing that is really pr- critical.
0: Yeah, and what I hear you describing reminds me of your point from earlier. I mean, somebody can't just read a book and say, oh, right, I'm going to stop jumping to solutions and stop jumping to knowing what the problem is. I mean, this is, here, you know, you and I as two consultants would um, agree with with our backgrounds and biases, but this is where having some coaching can really be helpful because I've seen people struggle with this and they sometimes need someone to point out, okay, wait a minute, time out, even though you're at the flip charts here, you're still jumping the solutions, right?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Solutions. Have, well, that's the same thing as Six Sigma. The Six Sigma sequence is called DMAIC, which is Define, Measure, Analyze, Improve, and Control. And the first part of Define is what is the problem, project charter, those types of things. And what happens in most organizations is you don't do the problem too well. Next thing you knew, you're into the Improve phase. So you've already skipped through Measure and Analyze because, hey, man, we already know the solution. Let's go. On, let's get out with it. <laughs>
0: Well, and speaking of what's going on with it, we are out of time here at the top of the hour. So, Harry, thank you so much for um, sharing your thoughts today, and thank you to everybody who attended and asked questions. Uh, Again, we'll be back here September 20th with a webinar by Aaron Edwards of Four Seasons Produce, and our presenter today has been Harry Kenworthy. Um, Thank you uh, to everybody, and um, we'll see you next time.